Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have those who help others create their businesses, ones we call the business creators. And we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow. If you are one or more of the above, and in fact, many of our listeners are all of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. We're also available on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. Fresh content every single week, immediate access to over two. 120 episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics related to business creators today. And, and, please be sure to leave a five-star rating if you like what you hear. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us serve more business creators just like you. Today's guest is somebody I have known for a long time. He's been a friend. He's been a client. He's been somebody who we've been calling a business creator ever since we came up with the term nearly eight years ago. Uh, you've probably heard his name before. I mention him frequently. In fact, I've even covered some of his items inside some of the other episodes. We've referred to him several times. His name is Skip Weissman. He's the founder of YourChampionshipCompany.com. And just to tell you a little bit about Skip, who today is going to share with us about creating a small business that generates championship results, Skip Weissman is a former professional baseball executive who helps small business owners with between six to 60 employees to create what he calls championship performance. Uh, a few things uh, interesting about him is he's an internationally recognized keynote speaker on the topic of creating championship small businesses and the key concepts of bringing championship caliber communication into the small business work environment. And I'm very excited to announce that Skip's very first book is going to be published in the spring of 2018, and the title is Overcoming the Seven Deadliest Communication Sins, How to Set a New Standard for Communication in Your Workplace that Builds a Highly Motivated Workforce, Creates Championship Performance, and Makes More Money. Skip, welcome aboard. Pleasure to have you on. Come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. It's, it's exciting to be here. and uh, I've been following your business creators program for probably since you started it. It's, it's, it's an honor to be on. Thank you very much. You know, one of the interesting things about this, and our listeners may remember if they go back to the very beginning, we launched the Business Creators Radio Show in September of 2013, and we had applied for our, or excuse me, our iTunes channel and had been told by Apple that it might take up to 30 days. Well, we got approved like 12 hours later. It's like, oh, shoot, we need some episodes right away. So, yeah was actually one of the greatest hits episodes we launched immediately. <laughs> and this was an interview we did with him several years ago for the Business Creators yep. Institute on how to handle the mechanics of a product or service launch and be one of those people who likes to keep your own hands on the levers. Uh, very exciting stuff. Uh, Skip is one of the most technically proficient clients I've ever had, I can tell you that. <laughs> and uh, what's very great, what was very great about him is I – called Skip a launch machine. He was doing the communication power uh, for leaders classes. Um, he's got books coming out. He's always creating new content for the audience, and that's fantastic. So, Skip, what I'd like to do 
before we dive into the great information you're going to share with us today is for our listeners who are still getting to know you, maybe even looking you up on a separate browser tab right now, let's just hear a little bit about your personal journey or your professional journey, however you choose to pursue it, that brought you to where you are today serving business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Well, it's just like everybody else that has you know, sort of a long and winding road story. I've been doing this, my own business, since 2002 full-time. Uh, and prior to that, I spent 20 years in minor league professional baseball. And as I always tell people, I, I, I was never a ball player. Um, I was not good enough to, to be an athlete. I learned that at a very young, early age. And decided yeah. I had to do something to stay close to the game because baseball is my passion. And I got my degree, master's degree, after my undergrad, um, got my master's degree in sports management, sports administration, and did an internship in minor league baseball and was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time a couple of years after that internship. And I took over my first team as vice president, general manager, CEO at the age of 26 years old uh, a few years uh, ago. That was in 1986. And I spent... 20 years in minor league baseball, 16 of those as CEO of a minor league baseball team. Uh, we were five different teams in five different cities uh, in the eastern part of the United States. And in 1994, I was uh, fortunate enough to be with a team in Erie, Pennsylvania in 93, and we were recruited by a community in the Hudson Valley region of New York, where I presently live. Uh, they built us a brand-new stadium, and we were one of those mercenary teams that uh, packed up and moved to the greener pastures <laughs> and the new virgin territory and a new ballpark, and I've been here ever since. But that move from Erie, Pennsylvania, to the Hudson Valley region of New York from that baseball team changed my life. I mean, we went from being really a small mom-and-pop operation to being – a full-time, year-round juggernaut of a operation going from maybe a half a million dollars in revenue to $3 million in revenue within one season just because of the market size. Um, we're an external suburb of New York City. We're 70 miles north of New York City, uh, but right. we just struck a nerve here. The timing was right. The location was right, and we sold out 92 consecutive games here. We couldn't sell tickets fast enough. Um, my income tripled in one year. My first six-figure salary uh, was the first year in, in the Hudson Valley, mostly on profit-sharing bonuses because we did so well. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that was the uh, ultimate pinnacle of my baseball career because the uh, the dream of every minor league baseball operator is to be able to go into a new city with virgin territory, never had a team before, and to do it your way from the ground up. And I was able to do that. And so wow. I looked at my career and said, you know, there's nowhere to go but either up. And up means I have to work more home games because we were a short season team that only had 38 home games. So I was going to have to relocate to a new community and work double the amount of home games and events. Um, and that was not attractive to me at that stage of my life. I was getting close to 40 years old and I just said, you know, living at the ballpark is not as much fun as it was when I was 25. So right. I was at a crossroads, uh, you know, in my career and had to make a decision. And I told a lot of our fans in those early years, I said, you know, my, my next move is out of baseball. 
and they didn't believe me because I was a I was a lifer, you know, a career of a baseball lifer, and I just uh, I you know I think my my horizons broadened, my mindset broadened. I said I wanted more for my life than just living at a ballpark, and um, it was a great career for 20 years, but it was time to move on and do something that was my own thing, and. Uh, so that's that's how I landed here. How I made that transition and that decision to do what I'm doing now is a whole other <laughs> evolutionary story. <laughs> and I'll just say that uh, it was a lot of inspiration from Anthony Robbins in that in a two win two year window that helped me make this decision to go in the direction I've, I've gone in. Yeah, you you have a very fantastic uh, personal story, and I've always you know found it pretty inspiring for myself. And you know you come from a very interesting background. Uh, having worked in management in minor league baseball, which is something we don't hear about every single day. And I love how you have translated that into the championship company concept. So uh, let's start by defining our terms. What is a championship small business? Well, you know, a championship small business really is, <laughs> I throw it back to the business owner and, and tell, you know, tell me if, if your company was running uh, like, you know, a championship team would tell me what that would be like, you know, describe it for me. And I get the, the business owner really to talk about what they want from their business and, and how that is different from what they, what they have at present. And I've always believed that um, there's a lot of similarities between sports, you know, athletics and business. And so uh, I just use that really as, as a metaphor for, uh, for, for business success. And there are so many, common themes between the two and it's really just about looking at the strategies that you it takes to create you know championship performance on the athletic field and what what are the common themes that we should be applying um, to small businesses and I don't think uh, business owners really look at things that way and you know people always get get caught up with the baseball thing and the sports thing when they talk to me because they just assume that well, I had everything to do with success on the baseball field. And, you know, we won. I was fortunate to have one team, one of my teams, win a league championship. Uh, but I had absolutely nothing to do with the on-field personnel. And whether we won or lost was not my fault, <laughs> which was a good thing, I guess. Right. Uh, because in minor league professional baseball, for the folks that uh, are not savvy with it, um, the major league team provides all the player personnel. Uh, field manager, coaches, trainers, medical supplies, uh, most of the bats and balls, and the players, and they pay their salaries and they pay everything. We just give them a venue and an outlet to play their games in. My job was no different than any other small business owner. My job was to basically put butts in seats, keep the beer cold, and keep the bathrooms clean. Uh, right. So I was running, you know, I was running a small business. Uh, we had yeah. my last stop in the Hudson Valley. We had, you know, like 12 full-time employees, maybe a hundred part-time employees during our season. And, you know, and that's no different than, you know, the companies I work with today, you know, a small manufacturing firm with 25 full-time employees, small insurance agency with a dozen employees. I'm just, the only thing that was different for me in running the team than your average small business with six to 60 employees is the, is the environment, the venue. I got to go to a ballpark every night uh, to earn a living. That was the venue and the, and the environment we worked within. And I put on a party for 4,000 people every night. 
Um, but, but the work we had to do and the work I had to do with my staff was no different than any other small business owner. And, um, and so, you know, when I talk about what a championship small business is, it really is, uh, you tell me, if, imagine that your team or your company was an athletic team. What's your favorite sports team? Is, is your company functioning at that high a level? You know, is there high-level teamwork going on? Are people communicating and engaging with each other in a way that moves things forward effectively and efficiently? And so it's really, it's really how the business owner wants to imagine their company functioning. And let's, and let's look at the ideal way that would be. And that's your championship company. And, and let's then see, okay, what's the gap, right? You know, where, where are they at and what do we have to do to, to get there is, is the work that I do. Yeah, and and you know you think about that. Uh, what brings Americans together? What brings any people together, really, more than most other things you could name, is allegiance to a team, like an athletic team, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, hockey, bowling, soccer, what have you, and just the ability to come together and have a friendly rivalry. Uh, you know, we have things like the World Series, we have things like the Super Bowl, and what makes our teams, our championship teams, able to reach that pinnacle? And it's a lot of the things that Skip has described here and you've described. So uh, I know that you know a lot of the concept came from your experiences and translating that into the small business world. And I love how you say that as a manager, you were, in fact, a small business owner. And I can tell you, on a hot summer day, I think a lot of people want to make sure the bathrooms are clean and the beer is cold. So you were an unsung hero. Yes. Yes. I, I know when I go to games every once in a while, and here in Las Vegas, uh, we're about to get the Raiders, so I'll probably pop into a couple of those games. Again? Uh, you damn well better believe that we're going to have uh, – we're going to be – I want some cold beer and, uh, and some clean bathrooms. So, yes. There'll be an unsung Skip Weissman there somewhere, and I'm looking forward to it. So, is, is that Raiders deal back on again? Yeah, it's back on again from last I heard. Uh, I mean, of course, it'll be a certain thing when I'm actually <laughs> heading down to the strip and standing in line to get into the Raiders game, and uh, and my friend who uh, does vacation packages is handling a sudden upsurge in business and people coming in for a Raiders game. But uh, we'll we'll get there when we get there. Hey, we got the Golden yeah. Knights, and they've got a nice little rivalry yeah. with my other hometown team, the Penguins, going on right now. So, uh, you know, I'm very excited about Las Vegas coming into being really a city of its own with its own major league sports teams. Uh, you know, we're very important to the economy of America, and we're very important to Nevada, and we have such a diverse and rich culture here. It's great that we're branching out in another direction. So that's a lot of opportunities yeah. for business creation. So yeah, the yeah, Vegas, the Vegas small, Knights, the, the, Golden, the Golden Knights have—they've uh, they, been the surprise of the hockey league. There's never, there's never been an expansion franchise that's been this successful thus far in the season. So good luck to them the rest of yeah. the way. Absolutely, thank you, thank you. So, uh, in light of everything you've shared with us so far, what can a small business owner do to create a championship company, and are there some steps involved? Yeah, there, there, there absolutely is a step in a system really that, that I've created. I mean, the first thing a small business owner needs to do to create the championship company is, is just make a decision. You know, right. one of the things I talk to business owners a lot who come to me, you know, with, with questions uh, about, you know, how I can help or their, their challenges or frustrations, 
And, you know, the, the question I ask them all the time is, well, what are you tolerating? Right? What, what are you putting up with that you wish you didn't have to put up with? Um, two questions I, I ask beyond that is, what's happening in your company that needs to stop happening? And what's not happening that needs to start happening? And we can talk for two, right. three hours on those, just those questions. And that's the, that's the stuff that a business owner needs to really uh, come to grips with because they've been sitting around tolerating things for way too long, putting up with stuff, wishing things were different. And they're just sitting in this, this sauce of, you know, frustration, negativity, wishing and hoping that things were different. And, and, and so the first thing is, as you know, in any transformation is you have to make a decision. You have to get tired of the status quo and, and, and believe that there's something better and, and just uh, put a stake in the ground and say, no, um, you know, we, we, we can be better than this, and I'm going to set higher expectations. And uh, it, it's a lot of the fear that I've found that business owners have in this regard is they really have a fear of not being able to get their people to buy in. They've right. done things before. Right? They've tried things before. They're, they're, they're trying to communicate to motivate their people, but really what they're doing is beating them up or dragging them out dragging them along, trying to pull them along, whatever it is, and, and they get lip service, they they get people nodding their heads, you know, in agreement, but there's no behavior, you know, uh, follow-through to match, and so it's just really frustrating. And so I think they've learned, come to this situation with this this learned helplessness where, uh, you know, they're, they're really frustrated with their people, and, and so they just tolerate it because they, you know, it's sort of like, you know, a, intimate relationship. You can't live with them and you can't live without them, right? So, right. <laughs> um, I'd, uh, you know, I'd rather, you know, dance with the people I have than bring in some other unknown people that will be just as bad or worse. And so we, we stick with what we've got. So the first thing really has to happen is just make a decision that uh, you want things to be different and better. And they they absolutely can be. And uh, the, the, that's the first step. You know, the first step in any transformation is just making a decision. And one of the things I learned in my in my transformation, my transition out of baseball into my own business, and I mentioned, you know, Anthony Robbins is a huge inspiration for me. I spent two years chasing Tony around and going to his seminars and workshops and worked did a lot of work on myself. But I'll never forget, you know, his definition of, of decide. You know, when you make a decision – you know, the, the root of the word decide, you know, is, uh, you know, Latin or Greek origin, but it means to cut off, right? And and that means you're cutting off any other option. You've made a decision. You're cutting off all other options. You've made a decision to move forward in this direction. Once you do that, it can be very, very liberating and very freeing because you're only focused moving forward. You're focusing on the future and, and, and what you want things to be like instead of looking in the past, wishing, wondering, waiting, you know, in fear. So make that decision and then everything else uh, can fall into place and start taking the other steps to uh, to begin building a championship company. And uh, I've created five, five steps, five playbooks, actually. It's a whole metaphor for sports. So I've got this thing called the Small Business Championship Game Plan, and there's now five playbooks in the game plan. And so, right. uh, you know, the first one is, is really to get 
clear on your uh, habits of communication. And, you know, you know, Adam, you and I have worked together for a long time, and I think we started together when I first created this this concept around the seven deadliest communication sins. And yep. I've been speaking, that's been my signature speaking topic for about six, seven years now. And, you know, it's amazing how these topics, and you've probably seen it in, in your work, you know, when you first come out with it, you know, the, the it's, it's at one stage, but the more you do it, the more you learn about it, the more you teach it and coach people on it, you begin seeing patterns and building a greater foundation and depth of, of the topic. And, um, what I finally came to realize, and this is only about a year ago, much to my surprise, which, I, which is probably why I hadn't written the book yet. Um, but what I realized was that communication is the foundation of everything. And I don't think that's hyperbole. or, or I think that is absolutely true. There's nothing that we do in life, business, personal, that is not impacted by communication in some way. It is always present. And if there's a problem in your life or in your business with other people, with revenue, with, with expenses, with profits, bottom line, profit margin, uh, conflict, everything comes down to communication. And so I want people to just understand that if there's an issue, a challenge or frustration they have, or a success, it is directly related to some type of communication. So that's the first place you have to look at really improving is your communication and, and really figure out where the communication gaps are. I mean, you, know, you, you talk to small business owners, you work with them. You know, I can't tell you how many times if I ask the question, well, what needs to be improved in your company? You know, communication is always at the top of the list. Um, and that never changes. That hasn't changed in 15 years for me. And I find it right. somewhat sad, but also uh, very interesting that those things never change. And there's a reason why it doesn't change a lot, because there's so many contexts of communication, number one. And number two is that we never really define communication um, in a way that allows us to fix it. And then if we do define it in a way that we want to fix it, we don't have the skills or the gumption or whatever uh, the approach is to actually fix it. And and so we stay back in that state of learned helplessness and we just tolerate it. And so the first thing to do is really get a handle on your communication, how it's impacting uh, uh, the people around you and the people that you need to serve you and serve your customers the best. Because if you're the business owner and if there's challenges in your, in your company, it's due to some form of communication from somebody and, you know, it all starts at the top. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, you know, and we've had a lot sure. of talks, you and I, on the state of communication in a work environment where there's other other people around, right, um, and the right. problems that that causes and what your experience has been. So first thing is we got to get a handle on communication. I've got a number of models. Uh, that I work with my clients on. One is the foundation of the seven deadliest communication sins. A spinoff from that is the four workplace conversations. We can do a whole segment on just the four workplace conversations. I think you even helped me facilitate a webinar once on, on that topic. Um, yep, I remember. So, uh, you know, there's, there's 
some aspects of conflict that people need to understand and work through. And, and so there's, there's, a, there's a depth of communication that I work with my business owners and, and, and the employees of the company on to just get communication to a level where we can do some other work. Because as long as that stuff is in the way, it's going to be in the way. Uh, it's going to cause challenges when we put um, the other steps in place, uh, the other the other playbooks in place. But So we start with playbook number one, which is championship communication. That's step one. Um, uh, playbook two is championship strategy. And I'm sure you do some work in this area with with, with your clients, you know, and using the sports metaphor, uh, it starts with a championship game vision. So every company should have a vision, right? We got to know where we're going, right? Or we're never going to get there. Uh, I try to up level that concept a little bit and make it, uh, you know, a much, uh, much more hopefully, you know, exciting or sexy way to talk about it. Because I call it a championship game vision, and I use the metaphor of sports and you know, spring training for Major League Baseball is coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, the first day of training camp for every uh, professional baseball team, as soon as those athletes and those players and those managers and the coaches and everybody walk into that training facility for spring training, everybody knows what the vision for that team is. And that's to get to the World Series. Correct. Now, is your company so focused on a vision that everybody walking through your door to work for you knows that's your vision? That's where we're going. And we want to be there because it's inspiring and it's compelling and it's exciting to contribute to something like that at that level. Not a lot of companies have that. Remember, most of the companies who hire me oftentimes, uh, there is no vision. The business owner is as stagnated, going through the motions day to day as the employees are, and the you know the, the business owner, he or she are surprised and frustrated that the employees feel the same way, and they're not motivated or inspired, and they have to keep trying to light a fire under their employees when they don't even have a fire, you know, in themselves, and so. And that comes through, and the employees feel that and sense that. I'd say 80% of the clients that I work with, when I interview the employees in the beginning of a project where I do a, a culture assessment to start things, to get the real lay of the land from the people in the trenches, I hear so often that, well, you know, I don't know where we're going here. It's just a job. I'm just collecting the paycheck so I can find something better or whatever because it really seems like we're just going through the motions. There's no real inspiration or motivation. I don't know what the future of the company is. And these are employees that are interacting every day with the business owner, but there's no inspiration there. There's no focus on, on where we're going. Uh, and so the first place I start with, I ask them, what's your favorite sport? And whatever sport they tell me, I say, okay, what's your favorite team? And great. So what's the status of your favorite team? Are they going to get to the Super Bowl or the World Series this year? Are they a contender? We'll talk about that just to break the ice. And they'll say, so imagine your company is that team. Is your company ready to win your World Series or your Super Bowl? How would you define it? What do you want to pick for your metaphor? And then let's transition that to talk about what's your championship game vision? The Super Bowl and the World Series is your favorite team's vision. That's great. Let's define your championship game vision 
And are you rebuilding to get there, or are you a contender this year? And right. then we start building what that what that definition is, and how can we define your championship game base? You really make it inspiring for not just the business owner who gets really re-energized over this, but then it's got to be articulated and framed in such a way that uh, you know the employees are going to care about contributing to it. And so that's where it starts. That's playbook number one is a championship right. strategy. Um, and part of that then flows also with the other strategic planning stuff of the why. What's the purpose of the organization? Why do we exist? People ask me about, uh, you know, how do you motivate employees? And I say, well, you got to give them a purpose to be motivated. Um, remember, motivation is a purpose. It's a reason for existing. So why does your company exist? What's, the, what's your purpose? Um, and how does it make a difference in the world? And when you define that along with your championship game vision, now you're starting to build a package of inspirational stuff that people can really get excited about. And we talk about the mission. We talk about the, the principles and the values of, um, uh, of what the people need to show up with as far as you know, behaviors and attitudes and stuff that we want in a championship mindset. And that's, that's sort of the, the strategic plan, the, the playbook for championship strategy. And I've actually, I'm, look, I'm looking and thinking about writing a second book after the seven communication sins is done on this concept. And what I've decided to do is use three of the playbooks in the middle to spell win. And so the strategies within each playbook spell win. So it starts with championship strategy, and there's four W's. Where, where are you going, what's the championship game vision, why, what's your purpose, uh, what is your mission and what you do to get there, and then who, who do we have to be, whether the values and principles you want to live by. Uh, and that's playbook number one, or playbook number two, the championship strategy that comes after the communication. Um, so that's really step two. And there's a lot involved in each of these strategies. Um, there's a lot of work to do, but every business is, is at a different place. And the really cool thing is some of this stuff is developed better than others, and so you can really plug in along the way with whatever uh, whatever step is most vital, most needed in the moment. You don't have to start at the very beginning, um, depending on how evolved uh, the business is. So that's playbook number two. Playbook number three is championship personnel. And this uh, it was all about the people, uh, recruiting, uh, retaining, and replacing, you know, your best talent or for finding the best talent and keeping them around uh, with, uh, you know, with real strategies that, that are part of a company where people want to stay around a long time. So I, this is, these are the, what I call the four eyes of championship personnel, invest in recruiting, wow. retaining, and replacing the right talent. Um, implement and sustain a performance management system, which is usually uh, non-existent, um, and then insist on championship communication and fulfilling the company values and principles. So we create the values and principles in Playbook 1. We need to instill that and insist on that being part of how people show up, and that's how we give people feedback as to how well they're doing against that. And so we invest in recruiting and retaining and replacing the right talent. We implement and sustain a performance management system, and then we insist on people showing up a certain way and we give them consistent feedback um, as to how they're fulfilling the communication and the values and the principles that we expect. So those are the, the three eyes of, of championship personnel. Um, and I've actually, over the recent years, the last three or four years, I've actually created my, my own performance management system that really has shown to uh, empower employees to, to step up 
Uh, and I always ask this question, so I'll ask you this question just to make it a little, a little more interactive because I'm tired of talking. Um, first, <laughs> I always ask my, my, my clients, what is the purpose of a performance management system? Why do we put these inane processes in place uh, on an annual basis to give people their performance review, performance evaluation? What, what do you think most people say the purpose of that is? You know, um, and this may be a jaded answer, but I remember when I used to work for a company before I became a full-time entrepreneur, uh, my boss told me very bluntly that it was based on uh, justifying the amount of money they had already decided to give me in terms of a cost of living increase. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And uh, You probably felt really empowered by that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you had uh, plenty of opportunity to – to show how you made a difference and how you could uh, how you brought even more value to the company, right? That was a great conversation. I'm sure you were able to have and and, and expand that cost of living increase. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. So so in that case, so in that case, uh, you know what worked for me is um, I had a sense of personal loyalty to my boss and uh, and uh, and a willingness to help him succeed because you know and I and I recognize this more actually in hindsight than I did in the moment. Um, you know he. Sure. Uh, Used to say, used to say that he wanted to be a great mentor to me, and I thought, okay, he's a tormentor because every single time I think I <laughs> hit the nail on the head, I got to listen to him process for 25 minutes about how I really screwed up. But uh, you know, so, you know, every day now, you know, I think about some of the things he shared with me and how, in the end, he was giving me a blueprint for my future. I just didn't recognize what my future was at the time, and and that's another mm. thing about leadership that I found very interesting is sometimes we don't come to appreciate the lessons until later. In the moment, we may even resent the lessons because yeah. we just don't see how they impact us over time. Yeah, no, you make, yeah, that, that's very true. You know, everything is great. Uh, we can, we have much better perspective, you know, in hindsight and, you know, and then we sort of regret some things and we wish, we wish we had experienced it or associated to it uh, in the moment so we could appreciate it more. And, you know, it's amazing when I uh, I ask seasoned business owners and seasoned HR professionals, like I speak at SHRM conferences a lot, Society for Human Resource Management, and I ask this question, what's the purpose of your performance management system? And I get answers much like you do, well, to decide, you know, how much, you know, the salary adjustment or bonuses should be every year. Um, it's to give people feedback, let them know where they stand, Show them how they're aligned with the goals of the company or all this crap. And I say there's one singular purpose of a performance management system. And if you don't get it, if you don't understand it, it's not working for you. And that is simply this. It's to improve individual and organizational performance. And if it's not, if you're having, you'll appreciate this, Groundhog Day conversations. Yeah. Right? Yes. Right? The conversations every year at performance review time are the same. You're not seeing any growth and development of your people. Right. What's the purpose? It's a waste of time. You should have a development program that shows systematic growth in your people. And if everybody is growing and developing, the organization will get better, and you'll see that in, in performance results. So that's the singular purpose of a performance management system, and you have to really bring that to bear on the, the process. And if you think about from a from a championship 
team concept, you know, your championship company concept, one of the things that champion, not, not even championship teams, losing teams do this, um, they evaluate their talent and personnel all the time. You know, the, the simplest way to see this is there's a scoreboard at the top of the stands in every arena that shows the statistics of every player when they're in, in the game. We know how they're doing today and for the whole season. Those stats are up there for everybody to see. They get automatic, instant feedback all the time on their performance. And if they're not performing to expectations, which expectations are very clear for the athletes and what their their role, their job is supposed to uh, contribute, if they're not contributing to the level they should be, they get regular, constant feedback, and then there's uh, you know, ramifications if they're not performing to speed. Now, I'm not advocating that we should treat everyday employees like professional athletes, but we should to an extent where at least we have clear performance expectations and they are managed and given feedback as to how they're doing, and then they are coached and developed to move up to the standard that is expected of them, and there's constant feedback. Um, whereas in most organizations, there's the annual performance review. Imagine what sports teams would be like if nobody knew any of the player stats until the season was over. <laughs> right. right. How do you how do you judge anything? And so that's playbook number two is creating championship personnel by by you know instilling this performance management system. And you know it, it can sound a little harsh and draconian. And it only seems that way until you implement it the right way. When you implement it the right way, you're having ongoing two-way dialogue conversations with people as to how they're doing and what they're feeling and what they want and what they need from you to get even better. Because most people want to do a good job. And when they joined your company, they were excited about the new opportunity to start a, a new job. You were excited to have them as part of your team, a new, fresh blood coming in. And somewhere along the way, that honeymoon period, whatever you want to call it, just sort of flittered away. And now you're where you're at. And it just sort of happens because we don't nurture the relationship, right? We're not watering our, you know, our garden here, and it's, it's, it ends up getting a lot of weeds. And so we need to nurture our people and develop them through this performance management system and have open two-way dialogue with people to make sure it's, um, it, it sustains. And, and, and so that's, that's, that's number two. That, that's uh, actually, you know, that's playbook number three, championship personnel, the three I's. And playbook number four is leadership and teamwork, championship leadership and teamwork. And there's a couple of ends that I uh, talk about here, and you'll notice W-I-N spells win. Um, in this in this context, playbook number four is championship leadership and teamwork, and this is where you have to nurture teamwork and nurture leadership in your organization. You know, I had a, a conversation with a, one of my clients before she became a client. Uh, it was a while ago, probably five years ago. We went to lunch. She invited me out to lunch because she wanted wanted help, and she said, "You know, I, I, we 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 need better teamwork in our in our company." You know, people are working in silos. You know, they're not collaborating, they're not sharing stuff. And I said, "Well, how, tell me a little bit more. How many how many people do you have? Do you have in your in your company?" 
She said seven. I said seven. Right. You have silos with seven people <laughs> in your company. Um, and and so I said, okay, uh, that, that's interesting. Uh, second question for you is, well, is teamwork part of the job expectations? Do you give people feedback, and is it part of their, their job performance expectations um, to engage in teamwork? Are they measured as to how well they contribute to teamwork? And she looked at me like a deer in headlights, like this was a revelation. You know, you, you, have, to, you have to set expectations and manage, you know, those things against the expectations. And if it's not even on the radar screen, why should I care about collaborating and being a team player if it's not part of my job description? Right, and I'm right. not going to be measured against it in my performance review. So, you have to nurture teamwork by making it a job expectation and then managing their performance for it. The second thing that team uh, companies need to do a much much better job of is creating teamwork rewards. Most rewards in companies, as, as you just said, you know, are usually individual rewards. On my raise, my bonus based on my performance. Well, if all I'm rewarding is individual job performance, why should I give Adam the time of day down the hallway because right. that's taking away from what I should be doing in my job so I can get my salary increase and bonus. I'm just wasting time helping Adam, right? It's not helping me at all. And so we create these silos and these, these conflicts between people because we're not sharing resources. Well, there's no reason for me to share resources. There's no incentive. So if you think about what makes sports teams work, Regardless of the salaries, now, you know, we can argue whether the salaries are, are you know, what they should be, but there's still there's differences in salary on sports teams for a lot of different reasons, because mostly because of the value that the players bring. So some veteran player with a long history of performance is going to get $10 million a year, let's say. A rookie right out of the box is going to get $500,000 a year. Well, that's a pretty big salary disparity. But if they win the World Series or they win the Super Bowl, they all get the same rewards. And there's three rewards that athletes get when they win a championship. They all get the ring, that momentum that they have forever that shows that they were the best in their field uh, at this particular time, which is uh, their ego boost. But they get that memento from it. They all get the ring. They all get the label of a champion, which, believe me, means a lot in the next contract negotiation because teams are going to want players that have won before to bring that mindset and that uh, work ethic to their, their team. So that gives them greater cachet and greater leverage and greater salary opportunities. And the third is we all get the same bonus. So a World Series or Super Bowl share is the same for every player on the team, regardless of what your salary is. So you're playing, we're playing for $300,000 bonus at the end of the playoffs. If we win it all, we get that same bonus check. Those rewards are the same. So we have the same incentive. We're playing for the same thing. That's what businesses need to do. They need to create team rewards so it reinforces and nurtures teamwork from the incentive perspective. And most teams don't. We just do individual rewards. Um, we also Then we have to nurture leadership. We have to delegate to develop leadership, and we have to do that with giving people greater responsibility but with the authority to fulfill that responsibility. You've probably seen this. How many times do... Uh, do people get delegated things and they have the responsibility, but they don't have the authority and the resources to fulfill that responsibility. 
Yeah. Um, and and yeah. it's really nice, you know, that you're delegating to these people, yet, you know, they're struggling to fulfill what you're expecting of them because you haven't given them the authority or the resources to fulfill what you've asked of them. Um, right. And and so they, they, you know, they fail. And so we need to delegate responsibility with the authority to get it done. And then we have to nurture this leadership with training and coaching so that we can build bench strength so that we have leaders ready to step up for succession planning. And this also is something you've probably seen. It's that whole thing where we take our best employee uh, who's leading the department in whatever department it is, and they have a great work ethic, and they show up and everything, and they work hard, and they know their industry, they know the job, they know the, the company well. And so we make them a manager and a leader. And well, we take yeah. our best best employee out of the workforce into a management role that they may not even want, but that's the only way we can give them a raise and a promotion and more money, so we have to make them a manager. Um, yeah, and so we have a story about that, actually. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, right? I, I, I have a story about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, one of my, yeah, one of my friends going back almost 30 years, um, he has uh, been in car sales his entire adult life. It's like the only thing he ever wanted to do, and he genuinely loves it, and he's really, 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 really good at it. So after a few years out on the floor, uh, he was bringing in some really impressive numbers, so they offered him a promotion to sales manager, and, of course, he accepted it. Well, after about a week yeah. in the manager's office, he went right back to the GM and said, yeah. Put me back on I'm the out. floor now. I don't want this <laughs> because because it, because it was a disconnect from his brilliance and passion and what he was really really driven to do, which is to serve customers and sell cars. Yeah. Um, he just right. he just didn't see himself as being built as the type of person who could supervise other employees. That just wasn't for him, and uh, he right. was completely in, in integrity with that. I'm also aware that for a while he was a finance manager. Um, and then he ended up selling cars again. So uh, it's just, you know, you, you got to stay at the intersection of your brilliance and passion. And to your point, for better or worse, in some cases worse, the only thing they really have to offer you is a management position. Uh, whereas uh, they could give you a raise and maybe uh, leverage your brilliance in leading a team or being a great project manager or what have you and uh, cross you over to another department that needs your leadership without necessarily giving you the manager title, but still giving you the raise and uh, what goes with it. But, of course, what we run into then are org charts and strat and Mm -hmm. salary requirements and things like that, and then you get the law involved in it, so it's almost a catch-22. Right. Yeah, and it's it's sad because, you know, unless you have somebody like like your friend who has had the confidence and self-esteem and self-awareness to know that that was not for him, um, we just stay in that role because now we have to admit some vulnerability, right? And we have to take that step back and admit that maybe we weren't cut out for manager or, or whatever. And that's a tough thing to admit, especially to our boss, right? And so we right. don't. We just stay there. And usually our boss or the business owner who or whomever put us in this role doesn't really check in on us, doesn't really give us the resources, the help, the coaching, and the development to at least try to develop those skills, and they flounder. And so you really need to nurture this this leadership uh, in your organization by giving people the resources, the coaching, the training, the mentoring, so that they can at least uh, you know try to step up and fulfill that role if that's something that uh, they feel is uh, something they want to try. 
um, but way too many organizations call, allow people to flounder. So those are those right. are, that's that's playbook four: nurturing leadership and teamwork. So you have a succession plan. You have a, people ready to step up, can make decisions in the field of play as the game is going on, and you're confident and you build trust in them to do that in your stead. Uh, that so many business owners want to be able to let go and move away and take some time off and not be so connected to the business. Well, the only way that's going to happen is if you develop, you know, this playbook number four with nurturing leadership and teamwork. And the interesting thing right. is the only way this, this fourth playbook works and the only way you're going to get people to step up to want to participate in teamwork and uh, step up in the leadership roles is if you're doing playbooks one, two, and three very diligently. Otherwise, the trust and the foundation in the company won't be there. Nobody's going to want to step up or work with their teammates um, because that foundation's not there and they can't trust what's going on. So playbooks one, two, and three really lead into playbook four to make it work and create a really high-performing championship company. Um, and playbook five is really simple. It's execution. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and without execution consistent execution, everything fails. And I was thinking about this as the, you know, if you look at these strategies and you apply them to sports, every team does these. Whether you're a winning team or a losing team, every team does these things. We all have a strategy yeah. to win this, get to the World Series of Super Bowl. We all manage our personnel and recruit and retain and everything um, at the highest levels and give people feedback. We develop leadership and teamwork because that's what our our sport is all about. So we do those things. But what's the difference between the New England Patriots who have been in every Super Bowl for the last 25 years and the New York Jets who haven't been in one since 1969? Right. The difference is execution. Right? How well we execute, how consistently we execute all of these fundamental strategies. And that's right. what I've realized, again, just in recent time, maybe in the last 6 to 12 months, I've realized the difference that makes the difference that creates a championship performance is we have all these four playbooks, but the fifth playbook is something we have to master, and that's execution um, of these other playbooks. If you don't, you're you know, you're just going to be stuck um, where you're at, probably losing, uh, and nobody right. wants to be a loser. So, so that's how we score. We have five playbooks: championship, uh, championship communication. Championship strategy, championship personnel, and championship leadership and teamwork. And then playbook five is execution. That's the championship difference. So that's how you build a wow. championship company. Yeah, and, uh, you know, sometimes we get guests like you who are just so awesome that you. I ask you one question, you end up going through the entire thing in your 30-minute response. So let me say this Sorry. to our listeners right now. If you are not subscribe to our channel via iTunes, go do it now so you can get this episode and listen to it again. Uh, if you don't have iTunes, then what you do is wait a couple hours if you're listening to this live, and then go to businesscreatorsradioshow.com and look at Skip Weissman's episode for today, and uh, within a couple hours after we finish the live episode, we'll have the, uh, the MP3 player up, and underneath there will be a little link that says Play in New Window. Just right-click on that, do a save as, and you'll be able to download the MP3 so you have this, because you must listen to it a few times. He just handed you the blueprint. I mean, this is, this is awesome. 
So we have uh, we have about eight minutes left here, and uh, we do get cut off right at the top of the hour. And I want to give skip a moment for the gift you want to share for us, but I just want to have a little fun here and get your brief thoughts on something. Uh, one of the things I like about you, and you know, you and I have had conversations about this, is we have a shared interest in history and politics and things like that. And about a year ago, I read this book. I cannot remember the title of it right now, but it was about uh, the history of the Chiefs of Staff to the President of the United States. Mm-hmm. And in one section, I found this very interesting, and I'm going to ask you what you think the answer was. They compared uh, you know, feedback from some you know, people who worked in the White House during the Reagan administration and the George H.W. Bush administration. And just to tell you a little bit about the leadership styles of each of these presidents, uh, President Reagan uh, was seen as somewhat aloof. I mean, he was a friendly enough guy, and if he saw you in the hall, he'd nod at you, and you probably weren't sure if he remembered your name or what have you. Uh, he was a friendly enough guy, but he was kept at a distance. You really did not get much one-on-one with him unless he came to your desk and asked you a question, which was something that did not happen very often because he was really big on delegation. With George H.W. Bush, uh, he would take hours and walk out of the Oval Office and pal around with everybody. Uh, people would find out, to their great surprise, that he had called their parents or called their spouse or called their kids and said, hey, you know, um, you know, Skip works here at the White House. He's my deputy assistant director of, uh, of basket weaving. And I just got to say, for these reasons, I could not do the job as president of the United States without the contributions that Skip gives us every day. So I just wanted to let you know my appreciation, um, you know, what a fine son or what a fine husband you have. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And let him know I said that. Now, between those, now between those two presidents, when they did a survey of uh, as many employees they could access, who do you think they preferred working for? I'm assuming they uh, enjoyed working for George H.W. Bush much better. The, if they had, if they had a choice between two bosses, they would have picked Reagan. Really? This here's That's the reason why, and I and I found this very interesting. Yeah. The Reagan administration, for those of us who remember, had a few very specific goals. Cut taxes, mm-hmm. grow the economy, beat the communists. So right. you could look at your work every day and ask yourself, am I cutting taxes? Am I growing the economy? Mm-hmm. Am I beating the communists? And you knew if your work was relevant. With Bush, uh, you, know, for the, you know, for those of you, th- you know, who think he was a great president, and you know, I have my certain amount of respect for him as a leader, uh, it's uh, the impressions that a lot of people working for him got that the mission and vision weren't always clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, that same that same ebullience that he had that uh, also translated sometimes to oh. um, a little bit of murkiness in what he was actually trying to right. do. So sometimes yeah. they weren't sure what they were supposed to do. So from the perspective of knowing what your job was, knowing that you made a difference, Reagan's leadership style in some ways made that easier. Yep. And and from a delegation standpoint, he. You know, everybody knew what their roles were, and he let them go do it. Um, as long as they were clear on the objectives and the outcomes, that's that's a very fulfilling way to work. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, in all cases, uh, or, or not all cases, it you know depends on you being the nicest, friendliest, most accessible person around. Although those things really do help to bond your employees to your company, but you also have to make sure that going along with that. There's a clarity that you're giving them the feedback and you're giving them the frameworks as they understand how their contributions will be valuable. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, as I said, I'm glad you shared that. 
yeah, I found that very, very interesting. So, uh, you know, we are down to about three minutes here, and as I promised uh, our listeners and you, Skip, uh, I want to turn this over for a minute or so. Uh, you have a little something for us. Yeah, well, I've got this uh, book coming out April 1st, uh, hopefully is the deadline for 2018's publishing. And uh, as you right. know, a few years ago, I wrote this white paper called The Seven Deadliest Communication Sins, which is sort of the, the primer for the, the full deep dive into the book. So um, I'd love to offer everybody a, a, the free white paper guide on The Seven Deadliest Communication Sins so they can just get a flavor of it and get a sense for what uh, what's going on uh, in with communication in their work environment. These seven communication centers are absolutely occurring in everybody's work environment. So this will give them a good general overview of the seven communication sins. And then when the book comes out, if they want to go deeper, they can certainly get access to the book as well. Um, but I encourage them to go to uh, the webpage, uh, which is www.seven, the number seven, the numeral seven, seven deadliest workplace communication sins.com and they can grab a free copy of the 7 Deadliest Communication Sins Guide um, right at that web page. The, the other thing, Adam, I don't know how we, we can do this, but I also have a, a short little one-page assessment uh, on the championship company thing that we just talked about, where they can grade their company from 1 to 10 in all five playbooks, and they can see where they show up on the uh, championship company scorecard and see where they need to do the most amount of work. So uh, I can provide a PDF file for you if people want to download the uh, the scorecard as well for the championship company stuff. Sure, yeah, we can we can certainly we can certainly work that out. We could uh add it to the uh we could add it to the biography section of your or actually we could add it to the episode actually. That's what we'll do. So, for those who are listening live, just wait a couple hours for us to do the transition to make it a replay and we'll just add that uh, link to the description. So, skip uh you know, you'll email me the PDF after we hang up here and uh we'll go from yep. there. Okay. okay. So right? again, let me say let me say that you let me say that URL again for everybody because we got to do this one kind of slow. Here it is: yep. Seven Deadliest Workplace Communications Sins, or is it? Or actually, it's Communication Singular, correct? Singular. Yeah, it's yeah, singular. singular. Let me say, let me say let me say it again slowly. Seven. <laughs> okay. Seven Deadliest Workplace Communication Sins dot com. And that's the number seven, not the word seven. So I'll say one more time, seven deadliest workplace communication sins.com. All right. So, uh, Skip Weissman, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and certainly an education. Well, thank you so much for uh, being a fan of my work. And it's been great working with you over the years. And I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak to your audience. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and we're so happy to have you as well. So for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And again, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. We help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.